Earning a world title in the UFC means you have reached the pinnacle. You are the best of the best of the best with honors. As Ric Flair always says, To be the man, you gotta beat the man! But sometimes that top dog status is held on shaky ground. Sometimes there's questions as to whether you really are as good as it gets. You might hold the gold, but there's a challenger who fans think has what it takes to dethrone you. Today's list is all about champions who came into title defenses where they were not the betting favorite to win, and yet came out on top to continue their reign with a bit more respect on their name. I'm Tommy from MMA On Point, and these are 10 underdog champions who defied the odds and won. A few points of clarification before we start, all odds were from the same sportsbook five dimes as they have a long MMA history, and while I believe this list to be fairly comprehensive, around the start of the Zufa era, 2001-ish, is when consistent records online about MMA betting odds get a bit hazy. After all, the first UFC in Vegas wasn't even held until then, so keep that in mind as we start with number 10, Randy Couture versus Gabriel Gonzaga. When 43-year-old Randy Couture came out of retirement and defeated Tim Sylvia to capture the heavyweight title at UFC 68, it was considered one of the greatest upsets in the history of the sport. Sure, he was Captain America, but he was undersized, old, and yeah, maybe we should have known better. He stopped Sylvia all five rounds. So why in the world we doubted 44-year-old Couture going into the first title defense of his new reign against Gabriel Gonzaga is beyond me. Actually, it's not beyond me. Sure, he beat Tim, but 44 is a big number, and good God in heaven, did you see what Gonzaga did to Mirko Krokop? The murder-death kill head kick that finished their bout at UFC 70 was a massive shock to everyone, but it marked the fifth straight finish victory in the UFC for Gabriel. This was Krokop a single fight into his UFC run, he was still believed to be the top guy from Pride coming in, and so that win held a lot of weight. Old Man Randy would defy the odds again, though. Coming in as a plus-135 underdog, the natural used his superior Greco-Roman wrestling skills to control the big man against the cage, and even though he ate a monster head kick late in the fight, Couture shook it off and finished the favorite Gonzaga via TKO in the third round. What a legend. Number 9. Robbie Lawler vs. Rory McDonald 2 it's possibly the greatest fight of all time, and the champion was not expected to come out the winner. Robbie Lawler's first victory over Rory McDonald at UFC 167 is what got him his initial title fight. A far bigger dog in that bout at plus 365, it was expected that the 15-1 McDonald was going to steamroll Lawler. Sure, he was back in the UFC after nearly a decade away and put together a few good wins, but the future was Rory Mack, and the fairy tale was about to end. When it didn't, though, at 167, with Robbie scoring a surprising split-decision victory, he would go on to compete for the vacant welterweight title against Johnny Hendricks that next March. Lawler came up short but fought his way back to the title and would dethrone Hendricks at UFC 181. By that time, McDonald had rattled off three straight and earned his way back to the title picture. Their first fight was weird. Round one was much of nothing, round two was for Rory, and round three, Ruthless put it on the Red King. There certainly wasn't enough there to believe that Robbie was clearly the better man, and considering his career resurgence felt like it could still be fleeting, the money was on McDonald, who was seen as the potential heir apparent to GSP. The line this time would have Lawler at a plus 135. Nobody anticipated the absolute war that would follow, though, or that when the dust settled, the only one standing would be the defending champion Robbie Lawler and his torn mouth. Number 8. Stipe Miocic vs. Francis Ngannou is there any champion more disrespected than Stipe Miocic? What does the guy have to do to be the favorite in a fight? He's currently the betting underdog for his upcoming rematch with Francis Ngannou at UFC 260, despite the fact that he soundly defeated him in their first meeting, the fight we're about to talk about, because he was given underdog status going into that bout as champion as well. Who does Stipe have to beat to be a betting favorite against Francis Ngannou? DC and Brock Lesnar at the same time? Going into the Ngannou fight at UFC 220, the champ had won his last five with five finishes. He KO'd Mark Hunt, Andre Arlovsky, Fabrice 
Lucio Verdum, Alistair Overeem, and Junior Dos Santos. In what world is that man going to be the betting underdog? Ours, as it turns out, and it's a testament to the hype that surrounded the Predator at the time. I do get it, the dude had six straight UFC wins with six finishes. He nearly decapitated Overeem. He's built like a Street Fighter 4 DLC character. The potential if he hits you once clean for a knockout is nearly 100%. The line for the bout would close with champion Miocic, a plus 150 underdog, and while Francis would throw everything he had in those opening minutes at Stipe, he would fail to land that big shot and be tired out by the champion's relentless grappling. Miocic would retain 50-44 on all three judges' cards. Number 7. Chris Weidman vs. Anderson Silva 2 Nobody really knew who Chris Weidman was when he fought Anderson Silva at UFC 162, which is why Silva initially didn't want to fight him. To beat Weidman, Anderson knew it would be difficult. Chris was unbeaten at 9-0 with six finishes. He was a strong wrestler, much like Chael Sonnen, who gave the spider problems three years previous. It could be a very tough matchup, and so losing to him was a real possibility. But beating him would appear unimpressive, as Weidman wasn't exactly a household name at that point, and Silva was the GOAT. He was expected to win. Well, guess what? He didn't. Anderson was famously KO'd in the second round of their bout. You can't play games in the Octagon. Given that Silva was who he was, and the fact that he was nearly mid-taunt when his consciousness was ripped from him, it's understandable that Weidman would come into their immediate rematch as the underdog. After all, that was just his 10th professional bout. Surely it was a fluke, right? Chris would close as a plus 165, and unfortunately get a bit of thunder taken away from his second victory. Yes, he would defeat Silva again via TKO at almost the exact same moment in their second bout, but this time due to catastrophic injury when Anderson broke his leg on a checked kick. His performance was impressive enough, though, as Weidman would remain the betting favorite for the rest of his title reign. Number 6. Amanda Nunes vs. Ronda Rousey We've talked extensively on other lists about how Ronda Rousey was pretty much the sole focus of the promotion leading up to her return at UFC 207 to fight champion Amanda Nunes. Rousey was, after all, a massive mainstream star. She'd taken a year away after losing her title to Holly Holm, who then dropped the strap to Misha Tate, who then had it taken from her by Nunes at UFC 200. Well, the marketing must have been effective because Amanda would enter the bout a plus 165 underdog to Rousey's minus 190. In hindsight, of course, the odds look a bit off, but given the circumstances, it makes sense that Nunes hadn't yet earned the respect of the betting public. The belt had changed hands three times since Rousey's reign, and maybe this time Ronda would be more focused on her grappling. Get Amanda down and do what she does best, first round armbar. It wasn't an implausible scenario, it's just hard to picture knowing what we all know now. The fight of course would last 48 seconds, and Nunes would utterly decimate the former champion. She did not get the bump from defeating Ronda that Holm did, however, as Holly would enter her next fight a minus 400 favorite. No, Amanda would be a plus 125 underdog against Valentina Shevchenko in their rematch. Nunes had clearly won their first bout, even if Shevchenko had a good third round. It's a surprising line, but perhaps more of an indication of how far Rousey had fallen as the win over her didn't do much for the champ. Number 5. Henry Cejudo vs. TJ Dillashaw the king of cringe Henry Cejudo may have done the impossible when he defeated Demetrius Johnson via split decision to tear away the flyweight title from the GOAT at UFC 227, but bookmakers and bettors weren't too impressed because the future Triple C would be the underdog going into his bout with the invading TJ Dillashaw at the first UFC on ESPN Plus show. Considering that when a TJ versus DJ bout was floated around, many bookmakers predicted Johnson to be the underdog despite his accomplishments at flyweight, it's no surprise that the less established Cejudo would enter the bout as the underdog as well. Had the extreme weight cut for Dillashaw down to flyweight not been of concern, the line might have been even bigger. Henry was a plus 185 to TJ's minus 225, but some books had Cejudo at plus 200 even. Dillashaw had recaptured the Bantamweight title two fights previous and defended it successfully against Cody Garbrandt in a rematch. His only loss in five years was to Dominic Cruz. There was a lot of confidence in Killashaw to get the job done. 32 seconds in, however, that confidence would be shattered when Cejudo finished the fight with a TKO stoppage, one TJ felt was unwarranted, but it wouldn't have really mattered anyway since he would pop for EPO post-fight and be banished for two years. When Cejudo bumped up to 
bantamweight for a triad double champ status, he would also be the underdog against Marlon Moraes. The only title fight he's been the favorite in was his last versus Dominic Cruz at UFC 249. Number 4. Jan Bojowicz vs. Israel Adesanya Legendary Polish power wasn't enough for the odds to swing in Jan Bojowicz's favor when he took on Israel Adesanya earlier this year at UFC 259. The undefeated middleweight champ was eyeing a second title after defeating the unbeaten Paulo Costa in impressive fashion, Bojowicz his road to champion a bit rockier. After a rough few years when he first entered the UFC from KSW, Jan would find his footing only to be TKO'd by Thiago Santos on his way to challenging John Jones for the light heavyweight strap. Then Bojowicz found that LPP when he put away Luke Rockhold and Corey Anderson via KO on his way to competing for the vacant title against Dominic Reyes at UFC 253, about he was expected to lose. Even his second round TKO of Reyes wasn't enough to convince the books and betters that he was the favorite going into his super fight with Adesanya. Izzy was the hottest rising star in the sport. He was on the cover of the UFC video game. Sure, he was going to be about 25 pounds lighter than his opponent, but that's not important, right? Jan would enter the bout a plus 205 underdog and leave with a lot more respect on his name. In a patient and measured performance that greatly benefited from superior grappling, Bohovic outstruck and outscored his way to a unanimous decision win and his first title defense. I have a feeling he'll be the favorite against his next challenger. Number 3. Tim Sylvia vs. Andre Arlovsky 3 at the time, Tim Sylvia's first-round TKO win over heavyweight title holder Andre Arlovsky at UFC 59 was considered one of the biggest championship upsets in the promotion's history. Arlovsky was a 5-1 favorite to win the rematch after dropping and submitting Sylvia in just 47 seconds when they first met at UFC 51 less than a year prior. Sylvia was in massive trouble at 59 as well, but miraculously got the finish after recovering from a knockdown early. And so heading into their third fight at UFC 61, Big Tim would walk in with the gold but not the confidence of sports betters. Sylvia was a plus 220 underdog for the trilogy bout, which goes to show just how high people were on Arlovsky during this era and how little they believed in the maniac. Andre had rattled off six straight wins in the UFC with six finishes, five in the first round prior to dropping the strap to Sylvia, so it's understandable that he was such a massive favorite going into their second fight. Apparently getting stopped in less than two minutes didn't deter bookmakers too much for the third encounter though, probably because it looked to be a bit of a fluke as Tim was in serious trouble before he pulled out the victory. The third fight would unfortunately for all be an absolute slog, one of the worst title fights the promotions ever put on. Neither man wanted to taste the canvas, and underdog champion Sylvia would retain via decision after an agonizing 25 minutes. Number 2. Frankie Edgar vs. BJ Penn 2 the remainder of our list will consist of champions being underestimated against the greatness of BJ Penn. In our first example, champ Frankie Edgar would enter his rematch with the Prodigy at UFC 118 as a plus 250 underdog following his shocking upset win to take the title from Penn at UFC 112. BJ was the biggest betting favorite on that entire card, a minus 800, some books having him as high as minus 1100. The controversial decision saw all three judges score the fight for Edgar, but submit three different scores, a 50-45, a 48-47, and a 49-47. Six. While rounds one and two should have most certainly gone to the champion and the final round the challenger, three and four were razor thin, so it's not like this was some sort of robbery. But Penn was the man. The only fight he'd ever lost at 155 pounds before this happened eight years prior. He'd stopped Joe Stevenson, Sean Shirk, Kenny Florian, and Diego Sanchez in four lightweight title fights in a row prior to the first Edgar bout. BJ was a legend, and his status as such meant that betters were highly skeptical about Frankie's chances in the UFC 118 rematch. But under Dog Edgar would score 50-45s on all three cards while outstriking the Prodigy 3-1, leaving no doubt that the first victory was no accident. Number 1. Jens Pulver vs. BJ Penn 
Remember how I said in the last entry that BJ Penn had only lost once at lightweight eight years prior to dropping the strap to Edgar? Yeah, that was against Jens Pulver at UFC 35. It's almost hard to describe the hype that surrounded BJ in the early 2000s, but I think the betting line on this fight illustrates it perfectly. Jens Pulver, the defending UFC lightweight champion who had three times as many pro bouts as the upcoming challenger and had already defended his title against Dennis Holman. He was a plus 300 underdog to Penn in that UFC 35 title fight. A plus 300 to a fighter who only had three professional bouts. People didn't just think BJ was going to win, they thought he was never going to lose, but he was destined to be the greatest ever. The prodigy exploded onto the scene like a runaway freight train full of nitroglycerin. In 2000, he won gold at the World Jiu-Jitsu Championships in the Black Belt Division, the first American ever to do so. Then he scored three KOTKO wins in the first round upon making his pro debut in the UFC. Joey Gilbert, Dean Thomas, Cal Uno. Good night, good night, good night. So you're telling me this 23-year-old is some kind of ground wizard and he's got the power to put people away. Yeah, BJ Penn was an MMA god. He was supposed to steamroll Pulver. He was already the champion in every way but name as far as the fans were concerned. Loliva wasn't just gonna lay down and die for the prodigy though. This bout was an all-time classic. Penn looked every bit of what people were claiming him to be in the first two rounds, nearly finishing Pulver twice, and Armbar only stopped by the horn in the second round. But as time went on, BJ began to fade, and Pulver did not. The fifth would see the two slug it out, with Jens getting the better of the betting favorites. In the end, the underdog champion would earn a majority decision. BJ Penn could be the best, he was just gonna have to wait until Jens Pulver was done. Which would be shortly thereafter, as Lil Evil would leave the promotion for four years following a contract dispute. MMA, you know? Huge shout out to Max Randall for editing this video together. Follow him on Twitter at Max underscore Randall. A big, big thank you to Ben Rosette, who provided that sweet tune you heard in the intro. Check out his music by clicking the link in the description and go give him a follow on his Instagram and Twitter page at Ben Rosette. Thanks for watching. Please give us a like and subscribe. We've got three new videos or more for you every single week. Let us know what you thought of the video in the comments below. Follow On Point MMA on Twitter and have yourself a wonderful day. That's what the love of money does.